1 to 16. And um, the version I've got here is the English Standard Version. Just wait till you all find your places. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but human cunning, oh, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the reading for today. Great to see you here. Whoops, get the book the right way around. Okay, well, we're up to our, our, our fifth week in, uh, in our series on Ephesians. And um, if you still have your Bible open to the chapter, I'm, I'm just curious... Is there a title in your Bible? What do, has anyone got a title they could call out? Unity in the body. Anyone got something different? Unity and maturity in the body. Mine says unity in the body of Christ. It, this word unity appears in nearly every version, every translation uh, of the Bible as a heading. So, so we know that this passage is about unity, unity, unity. And uh, in Paul's day, unity was a, was a big issue. Uh, the problem was, he was there, there, there was disunity between the Jew, Jewish and the Gentile uh, believers. But that's hardly an issue today, is it? We, we don't worry about that sort of thing. It, it's, a, it's an issue of the past and so the question is for us should we be worried about unity in the church today after all uh, 
we have a flavor of church for everyone don't we just look at all those denominations out there and thanks to technology we can easily get our dose of Christianity at home if, if there isn't one thing that COVID did for us it made it that we don't have to leave our house to get good preaching probably a lot better preaching than you get here today at least um false modesty you picked it out <laughs> uh, but even with us who attend church there has been a shift away from weekly attendance to less regular attendance and many Christians would argue I'm happy with a, a personal private faith why is church engagement and church unity so important I'm doing fine on my own well this is where Ephesians speaks to us uh, Paul has given us some reasons why uni unity is still a thing today and so I want to just step back briefly into uh, Ephesians chapter 3 uh, I, uh, I haven't heard uh, what Steve had to say last week so I hope I'm not going to contradict him at all but in, in Ephesians chapter 3 in uh, verse 6 it reads this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. That word mystery has been appearing a lot in Ephesians and, and here Paul says this is the mystery. Now when I read this I automatically thought of Star Wars. I thought of that scene where Luke Skywalker finds out that Darth Vader is his father Janet said that's a bit old but I reckon everyone still knows that scene from from Star Wars yes yeah I, I can see the youngsters down the back with their hands up so so I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track what we forget about was that there was something else that followed that because having discovered that uh, Darth Vader was his father it was sometimes later that Luke found that found out that uh, Leia was his sister do you remember that scene at all Luke finds out Leia's his sister and he embraces her as his sister and the Christian Jews uh, are quite different they need a bit more encouragement to embrace the Gentiles as family and they need to for a couple of reasons because in this verse it says you're both sharing the same inheritance you are both heirs of God and you're going to be spending eternity together this is pretty important but Paul introduces in in this verse a different metaphor that all believers are part of the same body so not only are you living in the name the same uh, neighborhood but you have to work together to function unity is not a uh, a purpose in itself to find out the purpose we need to go on a few verses to to uh 10 and 11 so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in christ jesus our lord See, God wants his salvation plan to be made known 
through the church you see Paul is urging for unity isn't like your mum saying I just wish you boys would get along Um, it's something quite different Uh, it has a real and important purpose in displaying God's wisdom to the powers of heaven and dare I say earth who would have thought so much importance would be placed on our behavior as the church I mean I look around and I think what was God thinking what was God thinking the church is going to display his wisdom to the world that's amazing but then I've got to look at my Bible and I see that God has a, a pretty good track record of bringing order out of chaos and it's Paul's desire for us to comprehend this this is what chapters one to three have been about it's it's been us understanding understanding theology understanding what God is on about what he wants from us Uh, and and he wants us to remember that God is able to do abundantly more than we think is is, is possible I find that a great encouragement so let's take that into uh, chapter 4 as we, as we begin. Now firstly I just want to set out w- where I'm heading uh, with this because the passage seems to be broken up into three parts. The first part uh, is urging us to maintain unity. That we don't lose sight that we are equipped for unity. And that unity leads to maturity. So the end goal, the the, the end goal isn't to just be united, it's to be mature. So let's dive into Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I'm just I've been taught I have to look down to my screen and we're now three behind. (laughs) So if we get up to slide seven. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Now, if you're following along in your own Bible, you, you'll, um, you, you might have different words. I've chosen to, to read from the, the ESV version this morning uh, because I like that it retains that metaphor of walking uh, because it, it's a word that appears in the original Greek and Paul uses this metaphor a few more times between here and the end of the bio, uh, end of Ephesians. Uh, he, he's going to be telling us to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, to walk in love, to walk as children of life, light, sorry, and to be careful how we walk, not as unwise but as wise. And while I'm getting into the Greek, another bit for you every time I mentioned this I think uh, last time I spoke every time you see you it is plural it's that you all or use Paul is talking to the church as a community not to individuals so Paul is saying in this passage I urge all of you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which the whole church has been called and uh, when I read this my first question is well Paul how are we to walk and he tells us in this passage with all humility and gentleness 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to look a little bit deeper into some of those behaviours later. For now, I want you to notice that none of these behaviours can be practised or developed in solitude. You need at least two parties. For example, one gives in gentleness, the other receives in humility. Two parties. And Paul even tells us how we are to do these things. We're to do these things lovingly and intentionally. Do you get that? Paul is encouraging us to seek out and to learn to love those brothers and sisters who try our patience, who are judgmental, who have flawed theology. He wants us to hang out with people in Christ who are most unlike us. Can I be honest? I don't want to do that. To me, it's, it's upside down and back the front to the, the way I think and the way I want to work. Now, I feel that my microphone is going in and out. Is it my problem this end? No, it's the problem down there. Fantastic. If I hear it go down, I will just start speaking louder. So yeah, Paul, Paul's encouraging us to seek out and to learn to love our brothers and sisters. I don't want to do it. It's upside down. It's back the front to the way that I would normally act. But we can't practice unity through avoidance. I sometimes think we have an attitude that we, we go, well, well, can't tolerance suffice? I, they think differently to me. I'll just tolerate that. I'll, I'll avoid that subject then we can have unity well I'm not sure I'm sure Peter conjured up a spirit of tolerance when he visited Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 I don't know if you remember the story uh, he has a vision he goes to to this Gentile and he goes into the house and and uh, he says well I'm, I'm, I'm here because well God sent me here um, I don't normally do this sort of stuff uh, but then he witnesses the Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius's household. And he must have realised, if God's Spirit is residing in both them and us, how can we be anything but family in Christ? It's that oneness of Spirit in the bond of peace that feeds our love and zeal for, for unity. reading on Paul continues here he, he says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all it has the sound of of maybe being an early church creed can you see the trinity in there there's one spirit there's one lord there's one god and father and all tied into this oneness is the one body the church how many ones are there anyone do a quick count six seven seven there are seven ones 
This bond of unity is seven-stranded. For the Hebrew, seven is a number of completeness. It's amazing how Paul's Jewish mind still works as, he, as he's constructing these, these writings. Now count for me how many alls are in there. Anyone got a number? Four. Fantastic. There are four alls. This bond of unity is fourfold. Of, over, through, and in. Now, four is a number that relates to, well, creation paradise, the, the temple and the new creation, places again where humanity and God are in perfect union. It's God's plan for his church to be in complete unity. But how? We read on. Jesus equips the church for unity. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now I want you to note here, Paul moves from all of you to each of us. The focus on unity is, is never to imply uniformity. The Jews were quite happy to be uh, united with the Gentiles if the Gentiles would adopt uniformity, if they would be circumcised, follow the law of Moses, keep the sacred uh, celebrations. They, they, they wanted uniformity to form unity. Never been the intention for God to have uniformity. We get to be individuals. We get to, to show our gifts. Paul tells us that Jesus gives each of us gifts and he seems to quote uh, Psalm 68, 18. Now, I want to read out Psalm 68, 18 in the next slide and, I want to, and, and I'll have this passage up too, a part of it, uh, and I want you to see if you can spot the difference. So, for, so, so we have, therefore it says... Uh, when we ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. But Psalm reads, you ascend on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. What's the difference? One's giving, one's receiving. Quite a, quite a big difference. Has Paul made a mistake? <laughs> or maybe he didn't have, a, you know, he's in, he's in prison, he's in home detention. Maybe he doesn't have his Old, Old Testament there with him. I don't think so. You see, in David's world, Dave, David, who is the author of Psalms, um, in his world, victorious kings receive the spoils of war. They take captives and they receive ongoing tributes from the defeated nation. David's poetry is clearly understood to be exalting God by the people of his day while providing, providing a, a, a veiled prophecy of the coming Messiah. But Jesus reveals himself as a different kind of king to what David knows. He's a servant king, a king who doesn't take captives but frees captives, a king who gives gifts rather than receives gifts 
And again, Jesus turns what has been the norm upside down and inside out. And, and Paul explains this in verses 9 and 10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he who has, had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascends far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, when I read this passage, I remember Philippians uh, chapter 2, 6 and 9. So it's, it's one of my favourite passages, because it says, Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that's the, the backstory story to, uh, to what Paul is bringing to our minds. Jesus putting aside his Godhead, descending to earth as a man, even trusting the Father to the point of dying for humanity in the most debasing way. You see, this was never a campaign uh, by Jesus to gain gifts and praise from us. What could we possibly offer because, to Jesus for this sacrifice that he's made? There's nothing. There's nothing we can offer. Love of us and love between the Father and the Son was the motivator. And the Father exalts the Son above all the heavens. From his riches, he gives gifts to his people. We read on that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, I don't know if you noticed there, but Jesus gives gifts to people so that people become gifts to the church. It's very important to see that flow because sometimes we make the mistake of saying, I have this particular spiritual gift. Look at me. I'm, I'm important. You're gifted to be a gift to the church. This is, this is amazing stuff when you, when you understand it for the first time. Our gifting only has meaning, only has function within the church community. One person with a gift is not enough. We need all with their own unique gifts if we want to build up the body of Christ. Now recently we, we had an opportunity here at church to engage in a program that helped us to, to uncover and, and name our giftings and if you haven't taken advantage of that, have a chat with John. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's not too late because it is great to find out what gifts God has given you so you can figure out how you can be a gift to the church. You see, a Christian who chooses not to be part of a church is, a, is an oxymoron. Claiming to have a spiritual gift and not being an active participant of the church 
it's contradictory. Personal private faith stifles us individually and collectively from maturing. We read on. I need to go back because I've kind of divided the sentence there. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, we've got another move from addressing the individual to addressing the church as a unit. That's what it says, when, when we all attain. It's back to us as a, a church. Until implies that the work of gifted people will continue, but will have an end when these four things have achieved. Now, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I've, I've started up, uh, we, we had our first Sunday light a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, I'm, I'm in the position there, I guess, as, 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 as the leader. Uh, I'm going to be excited when I'm no longer needed to be the leader there, when, when, when the church can run that as itself. And, and this is the same sort of thing. These people, these gifted people that God has given us wants to build up the church and put themselves out of a job. So we have them until that unity is attained. Now, out of those four, I just want to concentrate on the, the third one that reads to mature manhood. I know I've been a bit geeky today and keep on referring back to the Greek and I want to do it this one more time because in the Greek, it doesn't read to mature manhood. It reads to a mature man. Now, I don't know if you can see the, the subtle difference there, but... Um, um, when you talk about childhood moving to manhood, uh, you're talking about stages of development. When you use the word to a singular, mature man, you're talking about one unity, one person, not a stage. The first simply implies that the church reaches maturity. The second, that the matured church is united with Christ our head to attain a mature man. Now, if we're not working towards becoming one with Christ, then Paul paints a different picture of what's actually going on. We're heading that way so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul is painting a picture of infants, a pile of individual babies, if you like, without leadership or any other means of direction. And he places them in a life-threatening situation. I doubt I could come up with a more terrifying picture. Babies out on the sea being tossed around by waves. <laughs> what can they do? Now, starting off a baby is fine because if we look to um, some uh, Peter, 1 Peter, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Being a baby is a normal part of, of Christian life. But a problem develops if there is no growth. 
Uh, we parents and medical professionals, we like to see our babies put on weight. We go and take them to the clinic, we get them weighed, we say, ooh, nothing's happening here, uh, and, and we'll, we'll do something about it. And Paul sees this as a problem when he writes in, in 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? That's the picture of the church that isn't working towards unity. But Paul does give us the alternative. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, Paul's urging us to put our understanding into action. We began with walk, now we're we're using the language of, or the verbs, speak, grow, work, build. What jumped out at me as, uh, as I read this passage is that phrase, speaking the truth in love. You see, loving someone, loving each other in the church, and not challenging a flawed doctrine for argument's sake can be deadly but that's what we do we we practice loving avoidance yet challenging for example again a flawed doctrine without love is also fatal it's it's the best way to kill a relationship uh and and a lot of the time when you do it what the what the other party does is that they dig into their belief and, 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 and they stay on that path. You see, truth alone uh, can become a weapon. It can become all about yourself. And neither of them build true unity. And so Paul calls us to balance truth and love if we're to grow in unity. Now I have to take you back to the the very first part uh, of our reading, back to verse 2. Paul urges us to bear with one another in love, with humility, with gentleness, with peace. And it's interesting when you try to understand those terms in in this sort of picture that Paul's painting. Can I suggest that um, humility is allowing your firm beliefs to be challenged. I'll go a step further. Humility is inviting people to challenge your firm beliefs. Today, I want to say, if you have issues with what I'm saying, I want you to come up and say, Paul, I, 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 I don't like what you said. And... and uh, but I want you to do so with gentleness, 
Gentleness is the other part. Humility and gentle are kind of like one side is being humble, the other side's being gentle. Okay? And then truth can be shared in love. So, in humility, I receive another's point of view. I give it a favourable hearing. I mull over it. I think on it before I respond. One of the things they do in, in, in some communication workshops is, is they say, you need to be able to say back to the person what they have spoken to you in a way that they say, yes, that's exactly it. You've, you have nailed it. You don't add extra little bits of spite or whatever, which we, we're so good at. You've nailed it. And if you can do that, if you can say, look, I've, I've, I've understood what you've, you've said, I've thought about it, and now I want to re reply to you in gentleness because these are the issues I have. The other person receives that in humility and goes, oh, yeah, well, okay, I can see that. I can repeat that back to you. This doesn't mean that you, you get to a point where uh, one party wins, Nothing that may happen, it may not happen, but it means that when you are dealing with the world, what the world sees is unity in these people. That you can even go out into the world and say, Do you know, I have this point of view, but I want you to know that my, my sister over here has a completely different point of view, and I, I really love you to go and talk to her as well. You're seeing the sort of scene that, that can happen when, when humility and gentleness and, and peace and bearing with other, each other can come in to creating real unity, not unity of tolerance, of avoidance, but, but a genuine unity. It's risky. Yes, it, there's absolutely no doubt it is risky. Yet, is it any more risky that remaining as an infant in a wild ocean? No, I don't think so. So let's wrap it up. Attaining unity, if I'm honest, I've got to say it's terrifying. We have to surrender ourselves and become vulnerable. We have to put the other before ourselves. However, there is no growing into spiritual maturity just by working on it yourself as an individual. There's no growing in a spiritual maturity having a personal, private faith. It's through deep involvement in the church community and working at developing relationships that are hallmarked by love, humility and gentleness that we will collectively grow into unity and to maturity with Christ. We're urged to be one because the triune God is one. Jesus has given us all the tools to build unity. We just need to pick them up and use them in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you for the, for the words of Paul. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that he knew you and that you spoke through him. We thank you that we have them today, that we can, we can dwell on them, Lord. 
Father, I, I, I pray that you'll have touched our hearts today, that we'll recognise that uh, there's a real challenge for us to become vulnerable. If we're uh, to truly become united with you in Christ. And Lord, we desire that. We desire to have that maturity. We desire to be a, a, a witness to the world for you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.